Welcome to the Circular Economy Show podcast. In this new series, we're going to explore individual elements of the circular economy, building a more complete view of what the system would actually look like. In this episode, we'll explore the circular economy and reuse. My name is Colin, and in the course of this episode, I'll be joined by two reuse experts who will talk us through the benefits and practicalities of reuse in the circular economy. Everything we make comes at a cost in terms of material and energy extraction and use. And there's labour and there's transportation between the different stages of production. When we discard that item, all of that is lost. Therefore, it stands to reason to say there are savings associated with reuse compared to making something new from scratch. As such, reuse-based business models not only require less material input, but also emit fewer greenhouse gases to achieve the same benefit for society. As an example, a splosh shampoo container that can be reused more than 20 times lowers material usage by more than 95% and as a direct consequence, significantly reduces the energy required for packaging production. For garments, doubling the amount of time items are worn has the potential to avoid 44% of greenhouse gas emissions by not letting those valuable garments go to waste. Now, I could go on with examples, but first, Let's hear from a company who's put reuse at the heart of their operations. Starting life in Santiago, Chile, Algramo's influence in creating reusable models for packaging is now evident in several continents. I caught up with Jose Manuel Moller, who told us all about their story. Jose Manuel, could you tell us what's the story behind Algramo? Where, Where does the idea come from? So I started Algramo while I was studying in Chile. My study, my background is business and economics. And while we were uh, studying there with three other classmates, we decided to move from our house to live into a low-income community because we didn't. Uh, we realized that they were teaching us that the companies only focus on producing profit for the shareholders and the value that the company adds to the country was just creating jobs. And we disagree with that. And we moved from our places to live like a common Chilean and see from a different perspective. And doing that, I was in charge of cooking and buying everyday stuff. And because we had a really low income, I was forced to buy on the mom-pop stores in the smallest format. So a sachet for shampoo, a small, small bottle for cooking oil, for example, etc. And doing that, after a couple of months, I, w- I realized that I was paying up to 40 or 50% more than my family, which was getting the super-sized cooking oil bottle, detergent, etc. And that difference, I put the name of the poverty tax because it acts like a tax. All Today, all the low-income consumers, they're paying around 40 to 50% more than the high-income consumers because they don't have the liquidity. So I started studying the supply chain, trying to realize why this was happening. And uh, I figured out that the packaging was one of the key factors was that was adding cost, but not value to the consumer. So I tried to remove the packaging from the equation and I created a gramo, which means by the gram because I started selling powder detergent. So tell us more. I've seen your electric tricycle. What what role does that play in part of the solution? So we have been testing and doing many type of solutions. We start first with our own white label products, selling in reusable formats with pre-filled solutions. So people was getting a bottle already pre-filled and they were returning an empty one, which is the first model. The second one is the home delivery solution that we launched with Unilever and Nestle doing home refill with electric tricycles. So the user calls us through the app 
and we visit them with the tricycle, which has the dispenser and people refills at home. That was the second model. And the third one that we launched one year ago is in partnership with retailers that we launched first with Walmart in Chile. And now we're about to launch here in the UK and in Mexico as well. So the tricycle is a bit like the ice cream van we have in the UK. But you would Do you play some music as you appear? Do crowds <laughs> come flocking? And to be honest, the idea for the tricycle wasn't to be home, doing home delivery. Uh, the idea was to be more like a pop-up stores for fresh markets in Santiago. But because of COVID, everyone was at home. We decided to shift from fresh market to home delivery. And now people is using it. So we stick to it. And now it's, it's scaling up that model in, in Santiago. And exactly as you were saying. So it's like this ice cream truck that visit you, but now with home care product. Maybe it's not that exciting as the ice cream, but we are saving tons of plastic with it. Tell us about some of the advantages then that you've brought to those lower income communities. So part of our pitch or central value that we're adding with our solution is sustainability must be cheaper. So we are designing this not only for the high income millennials, vegetarians like me, we are designing this for everyone, which makes decision based on price. So first of all, we are cheaper. We are cheaper than single use. Uh, that's the first value proposition. The second one, we are flexible. So with especially with the dispenser machine, you can purchase as much as you want, like in a gas station. So if you need one liter, you can purchase one liter, but if you need half a liter, that's fine as well. So flexibility is the second one. The third one is zero plastic at the end. So we use plastic for the result packaging, but it's zero single use plastic at the end. So that's the third value proposition. And the fourth is the all the engagement and traceability and quality that we offer. Because from one side, we could tell to the consumer what is the production batch, expired date, how much plastic they have been saving. We gave them a deposit in money each time that they purchase for the next purchase. So it's like a loyalty club through packaging. And from the brand perspective as well, we have all the traceability for the quality assurance. So all the food safety batch production is it as well for them. So that's the, the fourth element. And of course, you've gone beyond the tricycle, as you said, and you're using um, machines now in places like New York and Walmart stores. Is Are all the same sort of savings and benefits applicable there too? Yeah, so it's exactly the same model. We work with what we call the packaging as a wallet because all of our packaging has a chip and each time that you purchase through an algorithm machine, we tell you how much plastic you are saving through that purchase. And based on that, we give you a deposit into the packaging for your next purchase. So you have an economic incentive to reuse that specific bottle each time. And we're using the same concept in retail in Chile, in the US, and we're about to launch now here in the UK and in Mexico soon. Do you have any figures off the top of your head in terms of how much plastic waste Algramo has helped to avoid? Last year, we know in numbers of packaging, so we avoid, we avoid about 250,000 packaging last, last year through the white level brand and with Unilever and Nestle. So we're expecting to double that number this year. So Is half a million. Yeah. No, no, sorry. No, no, that's, that's units, uh, packaging, units of packaging, different type of packaging. So it was 250,000 bottles. I understand. Okay. Well, that's wonderful. Um, cheaper for the customer, more convenient, and better for the planet, quite obviously. What would you say you've achieved so far, and where have the turning points been to get you here? So I would say that first of all was to prove that people is willing to bring back a packaging. 
is a huge concern around circular economy and reuse in general. So if you have the right value proposition, people is willing to bring back a bottle. So today with our own white level product, we have a returnability rate that is around 85%. So most of our consumers, they're bringing back a bottle. In the retail, we're already over 50% after a year. So that's, that's the first goal that I think is quite relevant in this space. The second one is to show as well that if the price point is the right one, people is gonna come and is gonna purchase and repurchase. So this must be for everyone, not just for an each. That I would say is the, the second lesson. And the third one is you need the big players in this space because we started first with our own white label brand in the mom pop stores market, which is quite small. So in Chile has 20% of the market and Chile as a whole produces 0.25% of the global emissions. So it's a really small country. So I realized that it's impossible to tackle this problem without the big players. So collaboration is a key factor and we need the Unilever's, Nestle and Coke of the world doing this really aggressively. Otherwise, we're going to be late or it's going to be quite small. But you, you already work with Unilever and did you say Nestle as well? Exactly. We're working with Unilever, Nestle and we're about to launch with Coke as well. So it took us uh, some time to convince them, but now we're on track to doing moving from pilot to a scale-up, which at the end is going to make the difference because... Today is great to tell the story, to have some five or ten locations doing this, but we need thousands of locations doing this. So that's what we're preparing for the next years. And is this how we shift the system towards reuse at speed and scale? Is it working with these big corporates? Totally, because they already have the volume. So if you could change 30% of Unilever volume globally, that's a million times what we're doing with Algram in Chile. So the possibility of impact is much greater. And also it's much faster to reach different regions. So totally that's the path. And the thing is how we could do that in the coming years when it's uh, before 2025. It's clear that you're, there's already an, an environmental benefit to what you do. I just wonder if a skeptic might say there's only so many people willing to change their behaviours to take the bottles back to one of these vending machines. What's your response to that? I think that in this space, there's not going to be a silver bullet to solve this problem. So there are going to be many solutions play at the same time. So we see that some part is going to be through refill. Some of them, they were going to be with pre-fill. So you're going to just return an empty packaging. And some other users, they want to use compostable packaging. So I would say that this would be a mix. Said that, uh, today we have evidence with real customer, with real products, that people is bringing back their packaging if the proposition that you are adding is interesting for them. So today is between 10 to 20% cheaper than single use. And that's good enough for them to have an incentive to bring back a bottle, especially in this day that in inflation and the price of the products are going to be increasing. All savings are going to count and this could be an extra incentive for reuse. Okay, okay. Um, seems quite ironic. The, the garbage truck has just appeared in the street <laughs> next to me. I just think that's it's quite an, it's a tremendous story, Jose Manuel, that you started out asking that question about how, how to make lives easier for, for people in lower income communities in Chile. And now you've got vending machines in Walmart and you've got contracts with Unilever and Nestle. That's a hell of a journey you've been on. Mm. So, and, and the other thing, this has been quite long. So it's not like the American dream that they sell you today about startups that in two years you are a unicorn. I've been doing this for 10 years. And we're just starting to have some scale-up. So this takes time. Uh, in Also in nature and in, in packaging and behavior, the things that takes time. So we're just progressing in the last 
two or three years, and now we have been seeing the results of the hard work that we have been pushing for, for many, many years. There's much to admire about Algramo's work, especially their desire to make refill the cheaper alternative and taking the goods to consumers in poor communities. While Jose is clear there's no silver bullet, what Algramo has demonstrated here is that there's an appetite for refill solutions if you can get the offer, the experience and the location right. Reuse models are sometimes considered burdensome or a thing of the past. However, as we've heard, innovative reuse models can unlock significant benefits enabled by digital technologies and shifter using preferences. Such models can help deliver a superior user experience, customize products to individual needs, gather user insights, build brand loyalty, optimize operations, and yes, save costs as well. But can and does reuse work in a business to business context? Reuse in the built environment is still in its infancy, but there are pioneers who can see the opportunities to bring about change. My next guest is Nitesh Magdani. As an architect, Nitesh has worked across design, construction and operation of the built environment for more than 20 years. He's now the founder of Net Positive Solutions, where among other things, he helps clients to understand the value of reuse. I started this conversation by asking Nitesh what value reuse has in the built environment. Currently, not that much. Um, I'd say that business as usual for a lot of clients is based around um, getting the quickest value, so short-term gains. Um, and often when we're working with clients, we can see that anything other than what the current process is, is difficult because we've got to then evaluate that based on a longer-term agenda. So. You know, we're working with, with clients at the moment, let's say Enfield Council from Meridian Water. You know, really interesting set of clients because they have really strong ambitions about reuse. Um, so we're trying to change the mentality all the way through the design, construction, or procurement, construction process to factor in how can we get more value um, by reusing components rather than just sending materials to landfill or recycling rather, which is the business as usual. And we're having to quantify that in a way that they understand. Um, and it is all about, you know, the the current rate of certain materials, if it goes to scrap, will be X. How can we give you more value by upgrading that reuse hierarchy um, to say, look, actually, that those materials can be reused again and you'll get a better rate of return. Why, why might they have reservations about reuse as things stand? Probably because it's slower. Um, generally, you're having to take a stance on not just what you're doing with the materials now, but actually think about in two years' time, we might be able to use those materials again. Um, and unless you have that direct match in terms of supply and demand, we do tend to find that people don't really have the foresight to think ahead. You know, think ahead at actually the value of steel, let's say, today might be X, but in two years' time it might be X plus, you know, 20%. Whereas we don't normally think that way. And then there's the whole certification warranties and all the, all the other things that you generally don't have to think about um, that we're having to now sort of tick all these boxes to say, okay, I know you've got concerns about the reuse of this material because we do, we, 
don't have the certification, but we can test it. You know, we can test those products. And it's just not business as usual. So we are finding that we're having to go through all of these hoops to ensure that designers feel comfortable using those materials again. They're fit for purpose because otherwise they'll just take a material off the shelf knowing that it has that certification. So it's just additional work that we're sort of filling the gap with all of these parties. So it sounds like there needs to be uh, regulation that goes hand in hand with a mindset shift from your clients. Yeah, and, and I suppose the problem currently is that there isn't regulation. So we're not we're not bound to use products, or you know, there's no um, th- there's no manufacturer responsibility currently in the UK for reusing materials. So if that were to change, um, I think that would be a major step change in, in the way that we come across different you know proposals, different um, methodologies for viewing materials, current materials as an asset, which we don't know. So you've talked about the value for your clients. What you haven't mentioned so far are the environmental benefits of reuse. Is that ever a part of your argument? It is, it is. And it's fair to say that if you only talk about the environmental benefits, from my experience, you don't get very far. So clients generally, they like the idea of saving embodied carbon um, or lowering whole life carbon, whole life costs. But when you take that as a financial argument, it tends to go further. Because if you can say, I've increased the asset value of this building or these buildings because we've done X, Y, and Z, and it's reduced you know, so many tons of carbon, great. But on its own, I don't think it really stacks up. You know, for the ABN AMRO project, reuse certain elements from other buildings. So Philips um, headquarters in Eindhoven, their facade was reused as internal partitions. They also managed to use fire hose reels, sports hall flooring, you know, for the flooring in the in the sort of the main office space. And apart from that, there's you know, on a, on a wider scale, there's reuse of a whole building. So using an old VW showroom in the outskirts of Amsterdam, again, by Royal Bam Group, to become an office building. So it's sort of repurposing. You know, when you think of that value ret- retention hierarchy, you know, you want to ideally keep materials in the same form that they're in, rather than dismantling it and then, you know, using some of the products is it's much better um, financially, environmentally, um, and socially, to to maintain that the whole ecosystem, you know, the whole structure, the whole building fabric, but then to put a different use in it, and that's that's what the team did there. Of course, it's no surprise that businesses love making savings, but sometimes those savings or opportunities are not immediately apparent to clients. With a number of additional actors involved and a time delay a much more significant influence, what I take away from the conversation with Nitesh is how much more complicated reuse in the built environment tends to be compared to, say, packaging reuse setups. Now, I want you all to picture what we call the butterfly diagram. Reuse sits proudly on the diagram in one of the inner loops, and the closer the loop is to the user, the more value the loop tends to hold. 
That's certainly the case with reuse. By avoiding remaking a product, there are significant material, energy, labour and carbon savings to be made. Now if you want examples and more research into the matter, you can download our reuse booklet from the link in the show notes. It's clear that reuse has a role to play in the application of a circular economy. With more and more business models and products being geared toward reuse, I cannot help but wonder what the world of reuse will look like in the years to come. Thank you for listening to the Circular Economy podcast. Please remember to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. Goodbye. Goodbye.